Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, register for an upcoming event, or support the Christian Life ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you'll enjoy today's message. Thank you once again for listening. Elizabeth said this to Mary when she came to see her in that little town. She said, after saying all that she said, and John jumping and leaping in her womb, she said, For there shall be a performance of those things which were told you from the Lord. And we talked about performance two weeks ago. Brother Josh did a remarkable job with the second session last week. And then tonight we're going to talk about the ultimate performance. The three performances that I think Elizabeth may not even know that she was talking about. But here we go tonight. God bless. Take somebody's hand and say, I'm going to help you tonight, Pastor. And you may be seated. God bless you. God bless you. You may be seated tonight. This has nothing to do with the message. But before her death in 1997, Jean Calment was the oldest living human whose age could be verified by official documentation. And this remarkable French lady claimed she owed her longevity to chocolate and olive oil. Great combination. On her 120th birthday celebration, someone asked Mrs. Calment, what is your idea of the future? And with a twinkle she said, very brief. We'll see how quick you were. You're not real quick tonight. She's 120. She don't think much about the future. It's very brief. Someone has, uh, has compiled a list of 40 what they call killer phrases and the things that people say to squelch new and innovative ideas. There's 40 of them. I'm going to give you what I call Johnson's top 10. Number 10, killer phrase. It's all right in theory, but... Killer phrase number nine, it will be more trouble than it's worth. Killer phrase number eight, it's just not in the budget. Killer phrase number seven, you've got to be kidding. Killer phrase number six, get a committee to look into it. Killer phrase number five, it's too far ahead of the times. It's way too far ahead of us. Killer phrase number four, please don't rock the boat. Killer phrase number three, we haven't got the manpower. Killer phrase number number two, we've tried that before. And killer phrase number one, yes, but. (laughs) Before television, there was vaudeville. You're already in the Christmas spirit. I don't need an amen. Let me talk. Just go to sleep on me. That's all right. There was vaudeville. And vaudeville was where many of our best old-time comics learned their trade. And entertainers in vaudeville had to face some pretty tough audiences. They really did. So many of them ended their acts with show-stopping moves to ensure the applause of the people at the end. There was one performer back in vaudeville days named Eddie Leonard. You can read about him. And he announced at every performance that this was his last show. He did this for 20 years. 
And he guessed correctly because there were very few people who would be heartless enough to boo a man who was performing his last show that night. But for 20 years, he told him, every time he performed, it's my last show tonight. And the announcement that this was his last show ensured him that there would be a big ovation at the end or the close of his act. Tonight, I'm speaking about Jesus' final curtain. But he didn't need any gimmicks to keep his audience's attention. The disciples were hanging on his every word. This was the last time he would ever speak to them in the flesh, and they didn't want to miss a word of it. So Luke 24 and Acts 1, written by the same man, the book of Luke, written by Dr. Luke, and the book of Acts, written by Dr. Luke, tells the story that I want to tell you tonight. The Bible said, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them. Everybody say, while he was blessing them, he left them. And he was taken up into heaven. And then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple praising God. Everybody said he started blessing them. And while he was blessing them, he just took off. I'm talking about the ultimate performance tonight. Two weeks ago, we talked on the reluctant performance in John 2. Jesus showed up at a wedding on the third day. It was Tuesday. The wedding was unprepared. The wedding was harried. The wedding was hurried. It was a messy marriage. They ran out of wine, and Jesus turned the water into wine. And we discovered that Tuesday is the most non-factored day and non-important day of the whole week. The number one day of the week, you guessed it, is Friday. The second most important day of the week is what? Saturday. The third most important day of the week is, you guessed it, Sunday. Isn't that amazing? The weekend. And the the least important day of the week, the most hated day of the week is, oh, you're getting smart now. You're getting quicker. And we call Wednesday hump day. And Thursday is the exciting day because tomorrow's Friday. The only day that doesn't get any ink in the whole week is Tuesday. Tuesday. 9-11 happened on a Tuesday. Black Tuesday happened on a Tuesday. Tuesday is the most non-factored day in the whole week. And we discovered on that night that God does Tuesdays. Isn't it a great thing to know that in a day that society says don't even really matter in the whole week of, of, of days that God showed up and performed his first miracle on a Tuesday? I think we ought to clap for that because God is showing us there's not a day. There's not a day in your life 
that I won't show up for you. Amen? And then last week, Josh spoke on the second in the trilogy. We called it the late performance of the late show. It was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Jesus said, Lazarus is dead, and I'm glad for your sake that I wasn't there because he wanted to show these people at Bethany. He wanted to show the Jewish people something they had never seen. He wanted to show that no matter how far gone death had been, no matter if it was fourth day, if, it, if, 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 if uh, corruption had already set in, no matter how far it had gone, it did not matter how many days Lazarus had been gone. When he got to the tomb, he called him by name, and Lazarus came out of the grave. So what I want to tell you is simply this. God Almighty walked up in the flesh of Jesus Christ to that grave, and Martha said, if you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. She was so faithful with yesterday. And he said, Martha, your brother will live again. She said, oh, I know. He'll live in that day. I know he'll rise on that day. He said, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. She was so powerfully blessed over a yesterday, God, and over a tomorrow, God. But what he wanted to do was get her into a today, God. And he brought her to that today. Mary took him to the tomb. They rolled away the stone and Lazarus came out of the grave because Jesus still is the resurrection and the life. He not was the resurrection. He's not going to be the resurrection. He is. So tonight we discuss the third in the lessons. Elizabeth spoke to Mary about the ultimate performance. We're talking about the ultimate performance tonight, his ascension. It is the most awesome, unpreached message in the whole Bible. It's the most awesome, unpreached message in the whole Bible. I call it the greatest show on earth. It was the greatest. Back in the Old Testament, there was, there was words spoken about God. The, the book of Psalm, the psalmist said in Psalm 77, 19, he said, thy way is in the sea and thy path in the great waters and thy footsteps are not known. Isaiah picks that up in Isaiah chapter 43 and verse 16 and 17. He said, thus saith the Lord, which maketh a way in the sea and a path, everybody say path, in the mighty waters, which bringeth forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together, and they shall not rise. They are extinct. They are quenched as tow. Both writers, both the psalmist and Isaiah the prophet, were referring to the Lord's prowess at the deliverance of Israel when they came out of Egypt and came to the Red Sea and walked through the Red Sea. They were relating back to that. God made a path. Say path. God made a path in great waters. Woo! He made a way in the sea. That, that water didn't open up on a little shallow end. The east wind didn't blow and just dry up a little shallow part because if it did, then chariots were discomfited in shallow water and riders were drowned. You've got to be fair on both sides. God Almighty opened up a path. 
And the Israelites walked across on dry ground. Then when the Egyptians came behind them, God said, Moses, stretch your rod over the sea again. And when he did, the waters closed. And the Bible said that the Egyptians sank to the bottom of the sea like a stone. Here's what I want to tell you. The same God that opened up the Red Sea and created a path, closed the Red Sea and created a graveyard. Here's what I'm telling you. God has a way for his people to come out of Egypt and into his glorious light. He has a path waiting for us, whether it's through the sea, whether it's through a mountain. God's got a way for us. He has a path for us. Amen. Now stay with me. Now Job comes along. Job, first book ever written in the Old Testament. He comes along and he says prophetically, Job 28, 7 and 8. He said, there is a path. There's that word again. Which no fowl knoweth. I love this scripture. And the vulture's eye hath not seen. Woo. And the lion's whelp, or the lion's roar, hath not trodden it. Nor a fierce lion passed by it. He said, there's a, there's a path. There's a place. There's a path that God can put you on that no fowl, no buzzard is going to pick you apart. No vulture is going to come and try to take you out. No lion's whelp is going to try to scare you on. No fierce lion is going to pass by it. God's got this path. Do you believe that? And then Psalm 1611 says, Thou wilt show me the path of life. In other words, if you've got this path, then you're going to show me this path, for in thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Say amen to that. And then Proverbs, Solomon comes along and says, In the way of righteousness is life, and in the pathway thereof there is no death. Do you believe that God's got a path? He not only has a path for salvation, He's got a path for deliverance. Woo, hallelujah. He don't only have a path to bring you out. He's got a path to bring you through. Even when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, He's got you on a path. You don't have to fear evil, for He's with you. His rod, His staff comforts you. He prepares a table before you in the presence of your enemy. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup runs over. It's an awesome thing. There is a path that no fowl knoweth. It's a path. The children of Israel recognized a path through the sea. Say amen. Job recognized a path that no fowl knew and the vultures of death had never seen. The lion didn't roar there. A fierce lion had never passed by. So it seems to me that God has paths for righteous people and people that are seeking salvation to run in. Lanes marked that are for the protected, that are a progressive zone. My path in life may not be your path, but in salvation, in salvation, the Red Sea opened in one area, one path. And at the Jordan, when they went into the land of promise, it opened in one area. Salvation is not many paths. Salvation is one path. 
Jesus said, I am the door. No man cometh to the Father except by me. If you're going to ever get into the presence of God, you better call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because His name is above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. Somebody say glory. Amen. I'm closer to finishing than I am starting. Stay with me. This is going to be over before you know it. If salvation is a path, deliverance is a path. Can I tell you it's the same path? You want deliverance? There is a name that will set you free. You want victory over something? There is a name that will set you free. You want to take authority over something? There is a name that will give you authority over it. I'm tired of Jesus Christ being pushed to the corner. It's time for us to declare that there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved and that name delivers and that name heals and that name still saves. Amen. Let me preach. One of the greatest battles in the Old Testament occurred in the book of Daniel. It was between the third, the three archangels, Lucifer, Gabriel, and Michael. Lucifer was the worshiping angel. Gabriel is the word angel. And Michael is the warring angel. And Michael and Lucifer had already hooked up years earlier over the dead body of Moses. You'll read it in the book of Jude. When he, Moses, disobeyed the Lord and struck the rock instead of speaking to the rock, he missed his opportunity to go into the land of promise. And the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to let you view the land, but I'm not going to let you go into the land. And so he took him to Mount Pisgah's lofty heights, and he overlooked the promise, but he didn't get to go into the promise. And when Moses died, being 120 years old, there was a struggle of who would have priority over the body. Hell has always wanted to claim priority over the dead. And Michael showed up, and they started fighting. And while Michael was fighting, Lucifer was singing, or whatever he's doing. He was doing his thing. He wanted to have claim of the dead body. Why? Because he wanted people that disobeyed to never have a chance. He wanted people that missed it and missed their purpose. They had enough to make it, but they missed their purpose. And he wants everybody to think that when you miss your purpose, you're going to hell and he's got control. But Michael stepped in. God's got somebody that'll fight for you. God's got somebody that'll take on the devil for you.
And the Bible said, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And Michael won the contest over the dead leader in the name of the Lord. And God buried Moses, not Lucifer. Folks, I don't know if that means anything to you, but that makes me want to jump up and down. I'm not even in the New Testament. And God wouldn't let one of his leaders even be buried or be handled by that mortuary called Lucy for burial service. He was going to bury Moses himself as a witness to us of what was going to come. And you know what happened on the second day when he was in the grave. He went into the inner part of the earth and he took the keys of death and hell. He walked out and led captivity captive and gave gifts to men and said, Come on, boys, there's a better place to go. I want to show you where I put Moses a long time ago. Come on with me. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Daniel. Come on, Ezekiel. Come on, Jeremiah. Come on. Y'all get on out of here. We're going to go where Moses is. We're going to go where Abraham is. Come on with me. The good part's coming. Now in Daniel 10. There's a fight going on. There's a prophet praying named Daniel. He's in Babylon. He's a long way from home. And I got the whole text up here. I got the whole, the whole chapter. And I'm not going to read it. I'm just going to read some, 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 some important parts of it. But here's, here's what it says. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a revelation was given to Daniel. Its message was true and it concerned a great war. The understanding of the message came to him in a vision. And at that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks. Everybody say three weeks. He said, I ate no choice food. I no meat, no wine touched my lips. And I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. You with me? That's 21 days. And on the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, the Tigris, I looked up and there before me was a man dressed in linen and a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like topaz, his, his face like lightning. His eyes were flaming torches. His eye, arms and legs were like a gleam of burnished bronze. And his voice was like the sound of a multitude. And I, Daniel, was the only one who saw the vision. Those around me didn't see it. They just got scared and overwhelmed and they fled and hid themselves. <laughs> so I was left alone gazing at this great vision. I had no strength left. My face turned deathly pale and I was helpless. I guess Daniel had a mirror. He said, my face turned deathly pale. I don't know how you see your own face. Then I heard him speaking. I listened to him, and I fell to a deep sleep, and my face to the ground. And here's what he said in verse 10. Daniel, you who are highly esteemed, consider carefully the words I'm about to speak to you. And stand up, for I am now been sent to you. And he starts talking to Daniel. And he said, the first day you prayed, I heard you. Oh, I'm fixing to give you something that will just absolutely make your Christmas awesome. He said, the first day you prayed, I heard you. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And he says, okay, don't be afraid. You who are highly esteemed, peace, be strong now, be strong. 
And he spoke to me, and I was strengthened and said, Speak, my Lord, since you have given me strength. And he said, Do you know why I've come to you? Soon I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go, the prince of Greece will come. In other words, you're not done. Just because Persia's quit, Greece is going to come. But first I will tell you what is written in the book of truth. No one supports me against them except Michael, your prince. So Daniel is in a battle. You with me? He's in a battle. He's praying to the Lord. He's writing a vision. He sees this vision. And for 21 days, God cannot get to him because there's a prince of Persia that is blocking the airways. Are you with me? And so Michael has to come and accompany the word angel, who's Gabriel, and fight the prince of Persia, detain him, get him off to the side so Gabriel can get through him and get to Daniel and give him the word and say, be strong. Because God is with you. And you're going to have other battles in your life. But remember, God is with you. Amen? Everybody say 21 days. That's why the Daniel fast is a 21-day fast. That's why we talk about the Daniel fast. Now, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to shoot some theories down here tonight because I'm fixed to preach about the ultimate performance. So, you, so, so the battle was won. And it was won after a while. Now, Satan is known by many names, folks. He's known as Lucifer. He's known as Beelzebub, the Lord of the Flies. He's known as Old Slewfoot. He's known as the Deceiver. He's known as the Roaring Lion. He's known as the Devil. He's known as the Accuser of the Brother. He's known as a liar. He's known as the Father of Lies. And you call him any one of them, he'll just clap his hands. Because anytime you talk about him, no matter if it's good or bad, he likes it. He loves attention. Because the thing that got kicked him out of heaven... Out of heaven was pride. And any time he hears his name, he just gets all puffed up again. It don't matter what you're saying about him. But I'm going to preach to him tonight just a little bit. Paul called him in, in Ephesians chapter 2, the prince of the power of the air. Everybody say prince of the power of the air. See, the apostle had a tremendous insight to Satan. Because one day he was stoned at Lystra. And evidently in that stone, and he almost died, and he went, whether he, in the spirit of flesh, he said, I don't know. It took him 14 years to finally tell the story. He said, I was carried to the third heaven, and I saw things that were unmentionable. He talked about the third heaven. So if there's a third heaven, folks, there's a first heaven, and there's a second heaven, which is the midheaven, and then there is where God dwells, the third heaven. So somewhere between the heaven that we live in, our atmosphere, and the heaven where God is, and where all of us are going to go someday, there's this mid-heaven. There's this second heaven. And Satan is the prince and the power of the air of the second heaven. He doesn't live in heaven. He's not living in my life. I've got victory over him here. But something about sending prayers up that Daniel sent, he couldn't get them through that second heaven. And Michael had to fight Lucifer so Gabriel could get through. Are you following me? But now we come to the ultimate performance. Here we go. So what is the ultimate performance by this Jesus on earth? Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, written by the same man, covers it all. One of the least preached things about in Christ. Yet one of the most powerful things he ever accomplished here. His death can be debated. Still is. Many people said he just swooned. 
There's a lot of people that said Jesus didn't die on the cross, that he was taken off before he died. There was no limbs broken. There was no bones broken in his body. The, the thieves all had their body broken up, and they died of suffocation. But Jesus Christ could have swooned. They say that. We know he died. His resurrection was lied about. It can be debated. It still is. Many people say that the disciples came and stole his body. They took him away. Have you ever heard that theory? Read the Bible. It's in there. That theory's in the Bible. But his ascension cannot be debated. Because 500 people saw it. Wouldn't you like to have been there that day, just go back in time? Now, here's the significance. When he blessed them, he was lifted up and taken away from them. And I'm two minutes from quitting. When he ascended, hear me now, he had to pass from the first heaven all the way to the third heaven so he could take his own blood, so he could take his own sacrifice, so he could take his own blessing and sit down on the right hand of the Father. And he had to go through the second heaven where Satan is the prince and power of the air. So what he did was he made a path. There's that word again. He made one in the sea. He made one for Job in the book of Job. And one day when he ascended out of Bethany, he made a path from the first heaven to the third heaven. And he told us in Revelation, I am he that opens a door that no man can shut. And I am he that can close a door that no man can open. He cut a swath right through the kingdom of Satan. The prince of the power of the air. And he did in one moment what the archangel Michael took 21 days to accomplish. He overcame the second heaven. He went right through it. So that what we see, the first heaven, and what we long for, the third heaven, could come together without any interruption. That's why he said, I am an ever-present. I'm an ever-present help in the time of trouble. There is nothing separating me from my Savior. And there's nothing separating my Savior from me. I've got a need. I've got a God. I've got a prayer. He hears it. I've got, a, I've got something I need from Him. He's right on time. Because He made a path. He cut a swath. He made an opening that hell has never been able to close. Don't get in that 21-day mindset. When you pray, he's right there. He's not going to let his blood washed 
sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled people languish on this earth. That's what the ultimate performance was. He opened up a cavernous, wide hole in the atmosphere. And so when you look up, there's no static. When you look up, there's no blockage. When you look up, there's nothing to hinder your prayer. I don't want anybody to ever say my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Never. Never. Ever prayer you prayed when you weep and cry is stored up in a bottle. And one of these days when you get to heaven, he's going to say, open them bottles and show them the tears. Every prayer you ever prayed, he hears. And you got to understand that God knows when to answer your prayer. It's not because he's delayed by a devil. It's not because he's stopped by some prince of Persia. He opened a cavernous hole in his atmosphere. It's because God knows when to answer and what time to answer your prayer. I'm tired of the enemy. I'm tired of the enemy. I'm tired of the enemy getting credit because our prayers are not answered when we think they ought to be answered. There's a society in New York called the Air Appreciation Society. It's a group of men who've gone together, three or four of them. I had Mitch do some research for me on this today because we've talked about it before, but I didn't know the consequence of it and the significance of it. But what they do, they, they build these huge buildings and then they buy... They buy the airspace above those buildings. So if, if anybody wants to build on top of their building, they can't without buying their airspace. They're, they've run out of land, but they had not run out of air. And I'd like for hell to know something this Christmas season. This is God's church. And he's not going to build a defense mechanism on top of this church to rob us of the victory and the glory that God has for this church. Hell is not going to stop what God, he's not going to have an air appreciation ink on this church because the one that cut the swath in the hole purchased this church with his own blood and he paid the price and he put it all on the line and here we are tonight magnifying the Lord. Stand on your feet, clap your hands and rejoice because God Almighty rules and reigns in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Everybody say, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. God is with me. God is for me. And if God is for me, who can be against me? There's no separation between me and my beloved Savior. There is a path. Job said it prophetically real well that no fowl knoweth and the vultures I had not seen and the fierce lion swept and the lion swept is not heard and a fierce lion is not passed by. I'm telling you, God's got a way out. You know what I love about it too? He didn't go out real quick. He just kind of took his time. He didn't want to break the speed limit so everybody could say, wow, just gone. No, 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 no. He took his time. He said, devil, I'm coming through and you can't stop me because I am the king 
and you're just a prince. And kings have authority over princes. Why don't you clap your hands and praise the king of kings tonight. And that concludes today's podcast. Thanks again for listening.